Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. This is not an individual thing. This is an us thing, a together thing, a one another thing. When we partake of the unleavened bread and we partake of the unfermented wine, we are doing it together because we are brothers and sisters. We are one in Christ. This is what the church is all about. In a world that has been characterised by distancing and isolation in recent times, the practice of anything to do with one another has become strained. But distanced and isolated or not, there is much we can consider in relating to one another. In the New Testament of the Bible, the Apostle Paul recognised that our community is made up of many different peoples. He describes wealthy and poor, slave and free. And no matter which category we might fall into, Paul has much to say about the way we should be treating one another. Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a new series he's titled The One Another Series, which looks directly at how we should consider and treat those around us. Let's join him now for the first instalment, Wait for One Another. To those who are battling disease or infection or virus, Father, we pray, bring healing to them in our midst. Father, we also pray for those gathered here tonight, that Lord, the cares, the worries, the pressures of life that may bring confusion, may bring uncertainty, would pale tonight as we behold Christ, as we behold him in his glory. And Father, we pray for those who are requesting prayer. We pray for the one who has requested that their daughters would receive wisdom from God and their son would also receive direction from God. And Father, we just pray for that family to receive exactly what you can do and you can give. Father, for those in our church family that are battling cancer, we pray, O God, firstly, that the grace of God would bring healing. We pray, Lord, that the grace of God would bring comfort. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that healing, healing would come to them and that, Lord, their their souls would be at ease, at peace with Christ in the midst of what for them may be a time of confusion. So, Father, we also pray for those in our church family who are looking for work or even looking for staff. That, Father, you would provide work for those who are looking for work and that, Father, for those who are in business looking for staff, that, Lord, you would provide for them too. You would provide the staff that they are looking for. Father, we pray for each one in business in our church that during the challenges of navigating the pandemic, that, Father, you would bless them and that, Father, you would help them to navigate through this weird economic season. Father, we pray for us, the church, that, Lord, as we prepare for the Tasmania celebration coming up in under 100 days now, we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to prepare our hearts, our soul, our our attitude, Lord, that that our attitude might be, God, we are ready. We are ready to see people come in. We are ready to see 
you bring in people who know nothing about you, nothing about your word, nothing about the claims of Christ, and that, Lord, we can nurture them, disciple them, show them how to follow Christ. Father, we pray for Will and Kendra Graham. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would strengthen them and that, God, they would, they would be in a, a great marriage and that when, when Will comes to Tasmania, there wouldn't be a care in the world distracting him, that, Lord, the evangelism gift that you've given him would be on display to the glory of God. Father, we think of our brothers and sisters in our own city, the, the church, the greater church of Launceston, that, Lord, you would bless each of the leaders, the pastors, the elders, those who have leadership in their church, that, Father, they would be strengthened by your spirit. Our heart goes out to our brothers and sisters around the world now. We think of the small very small population of Christians in Yemen and the, the terrible things that are happening in Yemen right now. We pray, God, that you would cause the believers in Yemen to be faithful to Christ and that, Lord, no matter what comes their way, they would be faithful witnesses for and to Christ. Lord, for those other parts of the world, we think of North India, we, we pray, God, strengthen the believers in North India. Father, for those believers in China who are also going under tremendous pressure there, be with them, protect them and strengthen them. And Father, tonight, as we open your word, may this be a moment, a time, a place where we meet with you. May this place right now be a sacred meeting that, Lord, we can meet with you in your house, hear your voice and be impacted, transformed, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll go down to verse 17. As we prepare our heart to take of the Lord's Supper. Corinthians is uh, a church or was a church that was a part of an, an, what's called an isthmus, which is an island joined by a land bridge to Greece. And Corinth was destroyed by the Romans in about 146 BC. And then a hundred years later, Julius Caesar came through Corinth. And he said this would be a great place for me to re-establish a colony and to give to my officers an allotment of land as a reward for their years of service. And so Corinth was re-established. So there's two Corinths. There's the Greco-Corinth, Greco there's the Roman Corinth. And one is up to 146 BC and the other one begins around about 46 BC. Both of these places, both the Greco-Corinth and the Roman Corinth, were known for their promiscuity, their sexual perversion, their sexual sin. To be called a Corinthian was not a compliment. And it was a place where ships would come. They could come to the uh, east side of the Isthmus or they could come to the west side. Caesar Nero had it in his heart that he would put a canal through the land bridge 
and he never did. He was never able to do it. It's about a five or six mile land, wide land bridge. And that happened, I think, in the 1800s. So it took a while. But that meant that ships could come through the Aegean into the Adriatic, and it, it, it meant that more traffic flowed through that, that region. But in the day, it was a place where, where there was a lot of trade, and where there's a lot of trade, there's a lot of sailors. Where there's a lot of sailors, there's a lot of temptation for sexual sin. And there's also the hallmarks of prosperity that happen. So Corinth was an incredibly wealthy place, very wealthy. Now that's really important to understand. All of that is important to understand as we look now in this section because these are the, the background information. Well, this is the background information that helps us to understand what's going on here. This, this month and next month, we're going through the One Another series. Alan did a great job kicking off this morning. Encourage one another. He mentioned that this series could go on for months. In fact, quite literally, it could go on for years. Because if we only took each of the different one another injunctions in Scripture, there's about 83 of them just in the New Testament. And tonight I'm going to look at wait for one another, which is in this text. So we're going to have a look at that in a moment. When we look at Corinthians, we understand that Paul is writing for two reasons. Number one, he has received a written letter delivered by the servants of Chloe. It says that when Zoe, Chloe's servants came to him, those who were of the household of Chloe, came to him and delivered the letter, he responded. But they also told him things. They didn't just give him the letter. They said, now what's not in the letter is that this, this and this is going on. And so throughout this epistle, Paul is going to say, now regarding the things that you wrote to me about and then he's going to as we'll see in this section here starting at verse 17 where he's just going to jump in and because he's been told this it's been reported to him so he's got some inside information here that he's now going to deal with and they might wonder where it came from and they probably wouldn't be wondering for very long because they would realize that the emissaries of the letter to Paul Paul was in Corinth which was on the other side of the a GNC, that when they got there, they would have told him, listen, Paul, there's something else going on that you need to know about. You need to know that there is a man in the church who is in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. Paul, you need to know that this is going on and this is going on, and all these problems in the church. And this, this issue of the Lord's table Paul calls this a first of all issue. A first of all issue, as we're going to see. This is an issue that he says, this is in the first place of things we need to deal with, which is interesting because we've dealt with, as you read through the epistle, he's dealt with the man who was in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. He's dealt with issues of division where some have said, well, I don't really listen to Paul. I'm more an Apollo man or I'm more a Cephas, that is a Simon Peter man. Well, I'm more of a Jesus man myself. And this is the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians. So these are really big issues. But now Paul's saying, but this that we're going to look at tonight, 
in first place, in the first place, we need to deal with this. That's in verse 18, and we'll see that in a moment. The, the Corinthian church was a church at the, the... Corinth was situated at the foot of Mount Corinth. And Mount Corinth was a, was a, a mountain on this isthmus, this island, and at the top of it was the Acropolis. The Acropolis was a temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite, the, the Greco-Roman god of love. And in that temple up there, several things happened. Uh, it, and, it was, and around that temple was a, a thing called the Agora, which is the marketplace. So you would go up there, there'd be the marketplace and there'd be the temple. There were temple prostitutes. And it was where the meat was butchered. The priests were the ones who would butcher the meat. But the priests wouldn't just butcher the meat. They would butcher the meat and offer it to the idols that were in and located around that temple. So Paul's already dealt with some of that. So the fact that he says in the first place, we need to deal with this, I find quite intriguing. He obviously saw this as emblematic of some of the deep-seated problems in Corinth. So we read in verse 17, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now consider that. Paul is saying this really to their shame, because he's saying when the church comes together, it's supposed to be for the better. In other words, when you come together as the church, because they had no physical church buildings until about three centuries later but when you come together as the church you're supposed to leave a better person you're supposed to leave being able to live a better life you're supposed to come away from that time together having been with christ which automatically makes you a better person if you're in his presence and you've drawn his strength into your life that's what church is supposed to be And so for Paul, the fact that they were fighting and there was divisions and there was sexual sin and there were people who were saying, oh, it's meat sacrificed to demons, doesn't matter, come on, have a hamburger. It was, for Paul, the inconsideration here was was a travesty of what church was meant to be. Think about this. What is church meant to be? Church at least is meant to be a place where people of different backgrounds can come together as one because we have Christ in common. We have Christ in common. We can come from different mother tongues. We can come from different parts of this globe. We can come from different backgrounds of wealth or not. And we can be one in Christ. And this is really one of the major themes that Paul wants to address in writing this epistle and in this section it seems like this is this is exactly the thing he's talking about here so in verse 18 he says this for in the first place so he really wants to deal with this he's taken 10 chapters to get to this thing that he really wants to say to them because this really annoys him so he wants to say this now they haven't written to him about this he's heard about it so he wants to address it When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, he knows that not everybody is in on this. 
He knows that not everybody is a part of the factional divisions within the church because of the last phrase. You notice I didn't read the whole verse yet. The last part of the verse says, and I believe it in part. In other words, not every, I know it's not all of you. I know it's just some of you who are doing this, who are trying, trying to divide the church. You're not even trying to live in unity. You're actually dividing the church. So I believe it in part. Verse 19, and then he, he says of those who are dividing the church that they are a part of factions or a division within the church that shows that they really don't understand church. He puts it this way. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognised. So those people who will nitpick, those people who will pick a fight over something that you should never pick a fight on uh, about church, they don't get church. They don't get it. There's lots of things that we could argue about. And, I, and over the years, and having been a pastor for, for several, de several decades now, there are church splits that I hear about and the issue is often as silly as the colour of the carpet. As silly as the, someone's changed the colour scheme or someone's moved the seating around or someone, as I heard once, dared to move the piano from one side of the church to the other side of the church. And people got upset and left and split the church over it. You, you, when you hear something like that, I guess I'm trying to put this into... Uh, this ancient problem that, that Paul was writing to the Corinthians about in some kind of modern context for us to realise if someone's prepared to destroy the church and fight and divide the church over something as, as really as insignificant as those things, it shows they don't get what church is about. Church is actually not about the building. Church is about the people. Church is about the people. Um, I remember being uh, newly appointed here and, and uh, nearly 27 years ago and we were meeting, this was our main building which is now our foyer of our, of our building and I happened to call this space a sheep pen and I think I received three complaints and someone was extremely angry thinking that I was denigrating all the effort that had gone into getting this building built as a holy, sacred place. Now, I get that it's a holy, sacred place. I get that. But really, we are sheep and we are gathering. And Jesus said the shepherd <laughs> gathers the sheep into the pen and finds there's one missing. Oh, so I didn't see a problem with that. But the fact that someone was prepared to pick a fight and take offence at that, I thought that says a lot about our understanding of what it means to be the church. Jesus said something about offence, didn't he? I think he actually said, when offence comes. The Greek word for offence, by the way, is scandalon, to create a scandal. So if we want to be the church, let's heed what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And hopefully what we hear him saying is, there are some things worth fighting over, but this isn't one of them. The Corinthian church 
being on Corinth, was used to meeting and worshipping before they became Christians. And this is how they did it. They came together. They sacrificed to their idol gods. And then they ate that food, that meat that had been sacrificed. And so the meal was a part of their worship. Now that's not so foreign to Jewish Christianity, or sorry, Ju Judaism, sorry. The, in the Old Testament, there's a number of meals that are instituted as part of Hebrew worship as well. So eating together was what the Corinthians were doing. And what they were doing, Paul is going to say, was the exact opposite of what they should be doing so here's what they were doing i said that corinth was an extremely wealthy island very wealthy but not everyone was wealthy slaves were not wealthy those who were slaves or at least servants may not have been treated like menial slaves but they may not have had much when they came to the church meeting and they brought their meal for them to eat, it was meagre. It wasn't much. Alan mentioned this morning that it would do your soul good, and I absolutely agree with him, if you could go to a third world country and visit Christians there and see how people live and as he said, don't stay in the five-star hotel there. Live where they, be, be, go into their homes and, and, and eat what they eat and so on. Jesus also said something about that. We, we were in Indonesia and uh, we were picked up at the airport by someone who was going to be our driver. And we saw that he ate while, we was, you know, while he was driving us to breakfast and then driving us to get lunch and then driving us back to our one-star motel to get dinner, we asked him, when do you eat? And he said, uh, it, you know, toward the late afternoon, I'll eat, I'll eat my meal. Oh, and what is your meal? And he said, a bowl of rice. And that was it. A bowl of rice. Can you imagine what's happening in Corinth here? You've got people who can afford to buy the meat from the Agora, the marketplace. They can afford to bring this sumptuous food that's, that's either being, being cooked while they were singing and worshipping and praying and then the, their meal is ready and everyone else's meal is ready and, and they would bring their... Their, their skins of wine and things like that. And, and Paul says that some of these richer folk were bringing the most expensive wines, drinking it liberally, not sharing it, and gorging themselves on meat, presumably meat that they knew, that everyone else knew, that meat had been offered to an idol. And they were gorging it as if it was no issue at all for them. So with that in mind, read this, verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. 
4 in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal so this is now what paul is talking about it was called the agape the love feast this is how it's referred to one goes hungry another gets drunk what do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of god can you hear how angry paul is and how these people who are deliberately dividing the church, not now on personality, opinion and preference, they're now dividing the church over, look at how wealthy I am while I look down my nose at how poor you are. And Paul says, what? That is not church. That is not how we are to treat one another. That is not what Christ has done. In fact, we're going to see in a moment that it seems to Paul they had completely forgotten what Christ had done when he established, he's called this the Lord's Supper. He says, Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23. Now this seems to, for Paul, this seems that he is now reminding them of something that they either forgot or what's happened is since he left there, maybe a year and a, year and a bit ago, people have come into the church for whatever reason and they've not known this that he's about to tell them. And in one sense, we should be really thankful that they didn't and that Paul's going to do this because now we have this Christian understanding, this Christian teaching of what the Lord's Supper is all about. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Now consider that Christ is doing this after he had a meal with his disciples. And what was the meal? The Passover meal. The significance of it was that there's in each of the gospel references to the Passover meal, there's not one reference to a lamb. Why? Because Christ is the lamb, as it says in Corinthians. So we read that Paul is telling them that Christ on that night, after having a meal, just as they were having a meal, took bread he broke it and notice this he didn't just say excuse me while i just eat this he didn't do that do you see what paul is about to say that is the basis for the lord's supper when he'd given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and he would have passed it around he shared it so as we're we're looking at wait for one another. It's interesting that some English translations translate that word in verse 33 as not wait for one another. That word wait, I have a translator's note here that says it can also be rendered share with. Share with one another. We'll come to that in a moment. Jesus said, this, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup 
after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the whole point here is that he's, he's telling them Jesus took bread, he broke it. Why? Because he's breaking off pieces for everyone to share. He then took the cup, a large cup, he took a sip, he passed it around. He shared it. He shared it. He shared it. He shared it with each other. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now what were they doing that they were, de that they were deserving to be accused of being guilty? They weren't sharing. They weren't sharing with one another. What should the rich, the wealthy have done at their meal? Because Paul has just said, some come with their meal, some come and they're hungry and they leave hungry. What is he saying? That's not right. Share. Share your food together. When you come together to celebrate the Lord's table, if you don't, if you don't have that as an attitude, now we generally, in most churches, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Normally, supper denotes an evening thing. We celebrate it in the morning. So we're not coming together over a meal in our morning service, generally. But we can see the attitude here that Paul's saying. Don't belittle someone. Don't rush ahead. Don't do this individually. This is not an individual thing. This is an us thing, a together thing, a one another thing when we partake of the unleavened bread and we partake of the unfermented wine we are doing it together because we are brothers and sisters we are one in Christ this is what the church is all about let a person Paul says in verse 28 examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Not the bread, the church. The body of Christ. Which is, we're all together. We are a part of one another. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Because, as the Corinthians were doing, they considered themselves to be superior to their brothers and sisters. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What's the true judgment? Am I considerate, as we heard Alan share this morning? Am I noticing as Alan shared this morning, am I prayerful? As Alan shared this morning, I mean, boy, Alan had about said 10 points in his nine-point sermon. And he's covered it all. This is how we are to regard one another. But 
If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And how are we judged by the Lord when we're inconsiderate, when we're not thinking of others? And we experience the Lord's rebuke. We experience the Holy Spirit convicting us and we need to be corrected, discipled. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, or should we say, when you come to eat together, wait for one another. There's one of the one another passages in the New Testament. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. And in this instance, he's saying, not to the hungry, but to the one who comes with a feast to gorge himself in front of others if you're that hungry do what we do when we go to a really fancy restaurant which you might do as well you know the more expensive the restaurant the smaller the meal right we know that right so what do you do when you're about to go to a really expensive restaurant you duck in the mcdonald's first grab something then go to the really expensive restaurant and kind of if i can put it in that kind of colloquial language that's what paul's saying here don't come to gorge yourself. If you're that hungry, you can see him being a little bit sarcastic here. If you're that hungry, don't be a disgraceful believer. Eat at home and then come and be considerate of others. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. In other words, your judging of others, your, your display of superiority. About all other things, I will give directions when I come. Brother Tony, could you distribute the communion, please? So as we take of this communion, the unleavened bread, the unfermented wine, we are taking of that which represents the sinless body of Christ. It represents the life-giving spirit in the blood. And it is a representation of of what Christ has done for us and how he wants us to treat each other. We are to treat each other in a way that regards Christ as making us one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus who gave of his body and on the night he was betrayed, we read here, that he took the bread and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And like right now, Lord, we don't do this as a religious act. We do this to remember you. Let's eat together in Jesus' name. As we prepare to take of the cup, this is not about you and Jesus. As I prepare to take of this cup, which represents the sinless blood of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, this is not about me and Jesus. As we take of this cup, it is about us, one another, together, being united being equal before the Lord, being considerate of one another, 
because we are the body of Christ. Let's drink in remembrance of what Christ has done to make us his body. Lord Jesus, we do, we do thank you that you gave of your life, you gave of your body, you gave your body to the one who whipped it, the one who pierced it, the one who spat at it, the one who shoved that crown of thorns through your brow and you did it all for us. Your blood was shed that we might be cleansed from sin, guilt and shame. And that together we can be considerate of one another. Lord, teach us to wait for one another. Teach us to wait on one another. Teach us to share with one another what we have, both spiritually, materially, in time, and in those intangible things, such as a prayer, a smile, or something else that we can do to bless our brother or sister. Help us as a church to be a church that is considerate and waits for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've heard tonight, the Corinthians had gotten a little carried away eating together and without consideration for one another had created an us and them situation. And Paul reminds them of their responsibility to one another. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.